This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. You are listening to iFanboy's Talk Explode with Jordan Boyd. Hey, this is Josh Flanagan with iFanboy.com, and I'm here today with, with Jordan Boyd. I don't, I don't want to say my my friend Jordan Boyd is what I want to say. I feel like that I feel like that works. I it's think that, that works. 
Uh, you are you are a, a professional comic book colorist. Yes, indeed. And that what, what's what's interesting to me is that that was not the case when I met you. You were an aspiring comic book colorist at that time. Yeah, you found me uh, kind of right at the beginning of it all. Uh, in fact, some of the yeah, that's definitely something we should probably get into because you're kind of integral to my origin story a little bit. Well, I, I don't want to take that all that credit because it's it's the work. But but uh, from my end, here's here's how it go. Uh, uh, how long ago? Ten years ago ish. That sounds ish. ten years ago or so. I was uh, I was making a, a not um, unconcerted effort uh, to get some comics published. Um, which didn't turn out to be terribly successful uh, before my life completely ran over all of my creative dreams. And um, but but I actually really liked a lot of stuff that came out at that time. There's, there's lots of good pitches that got put together. Uh, they just didn't tend to get picked up for various reasons. Anyway, uh, a thing that would happen is uh, people would write to me and they say, hey, I've, I've seen you trying to do stuff or whatever. And they'd send me some samples and, uh, you know, they would be OK. And then I, I I can picture where I am when I got your email. Uh, where you sent me the same sort of thing, and I was like, "Oh, these are really good colors." And there was, I mean, like, it's a, it's a, I'm, I'm not shining your shoes, but like, there's a day and night difference between like, oh, you could be a professional, and you're just still learning how to do this, um, and that, and that's what it was like. It was instantly like, oh, shit, he wants to work with me. That whatever I can do, um, <laughs> and so I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember. I guess it was I, I couldn't remember if I was the one that hit you up first or not. Uh, yeah, but now, now that you say that. I even remember which pages those were because they were the uh, they were the free inks that Tony Moore had up on his website at the time right. to play around with, uh, which I couldn't have known that you were uh, trying to put together a Western. But there was that one Western page, which is still like I found it a few years ago, still holds up. Yeah. Yeah. No, but there was a real <laughs> there was a real difference between that and a lot of the other stuff that I'd seen. And I always you know, I've always said whenever I get uh indie comics for lack of a better word or sort of like you know people at the beginning of their career it's always the lettering and the coloring that instantly give it away whether they sure. know what they're doing or not so that was always uh super important to me so i was really happy uh to get a chance to do some stuff with you um and I, you know i've shown it off over the years and like it's 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 you know the best like they look like professional comics because i was never gonna i never wanted to put anything out that wasn't up to that snuff you know just because there's no point sure so let's let's go now that that's all out of the way uh you know like like uh where where do you come from what what's what's your deal <laughs> uh well let's see uh originally from oklahoma and at the time we met i was living in georgia but now i'm in texas well then uh, <laughs> there was a there was a brief interlude in canada somewhere in the middle of all that but uh <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> just mostly mostly oklahoma my family's all from texas so just this whole kind of flyover country, Bible Belt mm -hmm. uh, region uh, for good or ill. Um, and, uh, yeah, I went to University of Oklahoma did to do film. On, I actually yeah. grew up wanting to draw comics. Uh, and somewhere along the way, let myself get talked out of that uh, and then discovered uh, video editing and, like, how easy it was to get into digital, you know, digital video and all that stuff and started thinking – yeah, that's what I want to do. And then more specifically visual effects. So that's what I ended up, you know, going to school for filmmaking and visual effects. But one of my best friends in college was, uh, Sterling Gates who okay, made short right. films together. And he, you know, he went on to 
have a very chance encounter when he moved out to LA and ended up being Jeff Johns like intern <laughs> and then went from there to writing Supergirl for a really long time. And now he like writes on the flash TV show. Anyway, Sterling worked at my local comic shop and we made short films together in college and he knew I was into comics and kind of got me back in a little harder than I had been in a, in a few years. Uh, and when he, you know, kind of transitioned from his film goals to his comics goals. And then when I was doing my film stuff and was actually kind of miserable doing it, mm-hmm. uh, he was like, you know, you've been doing Photoshop since like 1998 and I've seen, you know, what you can do. You know, have you ever thought about doing like a production job or maybe coloring or something like that? Cause I, I could do concept art for, you know, for stuff. I did matte paintings and things for visual effects. And actually he and I met because our storyboarding project in film school I drew a very simple scene in like a fake Ben Templesmith 30 Days of Night style because I had read it the night that the project was due, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is actually how we connected. But that's anyway. So he knew I could do st- different styles, new art, new Photoshop, could do the job. And so I was like, you know, you're kind of right. And I'm kind of miserable. And here's another place where you got you specifically fit into the story a little bit. Uh, on that terrible visual effects job that I was working, uh, I binged uh, iFanboy, Word Balloon, and like maybe Eleven O'clock Comics, a couple other podcast mm-hmm. like comics podcasts, all at once. Like would just do it all. Like that would you know fill my days with work and and comics podcasts, and just kind of was like, yeah, yeah, you know what, comics really was the first love, uh, and so to make it make this incredibly long winded story short started to transition to wanting to do comics, did a portfolio or two had some false starts and, and it, you know, eventually got some traction and things kind of blew up at a certain point, which we can get into later if you want. So when you said you, you wanted to draw comics and we're talked out about it, when we talked out about it, when was that? Like how old were you when that happened? Probably middle of high school, like really probably around probably about 10th grade. I was just like, I felt like my drawing was kind of stalling out, but it's also cause I was like, uh, you know, the kind of religious conservative upbringing, you know, life drawing means nudity and that was bad. And, you know, like, so I like how to draw all of my, how to draw books, uh, had tastefully drawn, uh, swimwear drawn over, uh, in Sharpie over (laughs) all all of the, all of the figures, uh, and things. So like, but you know, I, I was too busy trying to draw like, you know, like other people or, mm-hmm. or, or getting, or, or having the brief like manga phase that everybody seems to have, uh, you know, I, anyway, I just, I was like, I was becoming aware of the fact that I don't know that my drawing was as good as it needed to be, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, that's still bullshit. I should have kept pushing. Yeah. I was like, um, do you ever, do I mean, do you ever sort of go back to drawing now? Uh, I think, and, and here's the other thing. I think I was always a stronger, um, pure cartoonist and not like a like 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 more like newspaper strip right kind of cartooning i think i was actually i at one point i was good at that mm-hmm. uh and i and i toy with it some and i'm kind of trying to rediscover what my what my cartooning style would even be and like i do little illustrations for myself or for my kids and things like uh i you know picture books picture book looking stuff and i kind of you know may still do some of that but i also don't think i want the grind of sequential storytelling uh 
in my life as much. I already have that through my coloring work. Yeah, I I, 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 I understand. Any, any illustration work I would do would probably not be that. <laughs> that makes that makes complete sense to having been close up in it like you were. I'm I'm sure. Uh, so were you were you like always into comics or or did you like stop and start or when, like when did you fall out and fall in? I don't know that I ever fell out, but Good. like you know the the weekly getting comics every week thing uh-huh. didn't start didn't start until college really. Uh, before then it was always a, either a luxury, like, or, or a whim, uh, or I would, you know, it was a thing where I can't remember like in second or third grade is when I really started drawing was when I changed schools. And like, I was like, I wanted to be one of the cool kids that were drawing, uh, superheroes during, like during like the Mm. indoor recess time. Uh, and, and then I was the only one that still was doing that a year later and just Mm. kept on doing it. Um, but I mean, I remember me and my cousin getting obsessed with like the year that like the death of Superman happened. Like I remember spending, like my cousin was obsessed with the collecting aspect and I got obsessed with the story. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, I was at that point, it was mostly Superman and, and Batman stuff, you know, all the big nineties things. Um, I did get a weird multi-pack from Walmart that had the first four issues of Youngblood and Wildcats, which was <laughs> big. Um, and then it was things like buying the Start Your Own comic book collection sets from like <laughs> Toys R Us, which would just be the worst dollar bin, like leftover kind of reject issues of things. But I remember those. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know the difference. Right. And so you know that's that's why I read a bunch of issues of like Sleepwalker or uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other. Uh, kind of oddball like DC books too. Uh, some of them were like, this really doesn't belong in the like Toys R Us <laughs> uh, kids section, but no one's clearly paying attention. Yeah. But you know, it was whatever I could scrounge from gas stations back when that was a thing. Yep. Or the like, you know, bi-monthly, you here's 20 bucks, get some back issues. So it was never, it was never, I was never reading much that was super current. Uh, and it was all over the place um, until I started making an effort to pick up uh, Madman and like uh, not Hellboy yet. That was a couple years later. For some reason, the Hastings near my house always had Madman. Uh, so I was like an early like I was into like the dark horsey stuff like when I when I mm-hmm. started finding it. Um were you aware anyway, I, I could go on and on. Yeah. <laughs> were you were you aware of the the craft and sort of the components of it at that point? At that point I was like it was a lot of a lot art centric. Um like uh I'm trying to think I mean I actually liked Liefeld and things at the time, but uh-huh. I, but I'm I'm proud I'm proud to realize now when I found some of my first comics. Uh apparently I just had a thing for Mignola right away. Huh. Uh cuz I would always pick out the Superman back issues that had Mignola covers. Like I can picture uh, a Superman cover where Clark's pulling like Jimmy Olsen away from Banshee, who is like, like in some sort of like, like they're on the Scottish moors and she's like in hell trying to drag like Jimmy down or whatever. Like, I, and then like there was a bunch of Elseworlds covers that, that had Mignola art Gotham on them. by Gaslight. Uh, Gotham by, I didn't have Gotham by Gaslight. And I, I had one where it was like, it was all just the covers, sure. Uh, for like, but you know, the one where 
you know, Clark is basically Mowgli from the Jungle Book or, uh, you know, just all those different ones. So uh, as I go through my old stuff, I'm like, oh, apparently I just always had a big old Mignola crush from the start. Um, but anyway, yeah, uh, I mean, the art was there and I, you know, would say I was into the story time, but I don't think I really appreciated the craft until college. Yeah, that's that's still not so. So when were you aware of colorists as a thing? <laughs> uh, around the time I wanted to be one. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, if if you don't if you don't count um, the early uh, early Alex Ross infatuation, um, mm-hmm. Kingdom Come and uh, and Marvels were were kind of like big deals for me. Yeah, they were big deals. Just <laughs> well, for sure. But like, but I'm saying like, uh, out, like I was, I like that was a defining, like, oh, it can this this is what it can look like. Holy shit! Uh, oh, really? Uh, it's funny because like the thing for that would be for most people is like, oh, it's painted. It's so, I, and you know, maybe not even so much then, but now we look at it and we're like, it's so handcrafted. Whereas yeah. you know, where is most stuff is is not you know, not even really physical anymore. So right. I guess in the other in the other side, like at the time though, it was literally as as manual, you know, as, as analog as anything else. It was just a paintbrush, I guess. And and it was just a level of polish that you know, yeah, I wasn't used to seeing. <laughs> do you or still really do you think anybody. you still like that? Like if you look back at it, I would be interested to revisit it. It's been a long time since I read either Marvels or Kingdom Come. Mm-hmm. Uh, like and you know, I've kind of. You know, now I find that stuff in like as I see it now, like stuff like that now, I find it too kind of baroque. Because mm-hmm. um, I think my current ideal for what comic books should look like, you know, I'm not. This is this is personal taste. This isn't like me making a manifesto or anything. Uh, like I think uh, the combo of Darwin Cook and Dave Stewart on uh, on on uh, New Frontier and Dave Stewart and Guy Davis on early BPRD are pretty much like my platonic ideal of what comic books com- should look like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so like I definitely kind of ranged away from the painted stuff, even though like I, I see painterly um, influences in my, in my coloring work for sure. It's getting more subtle like though um, and not as like rendery mm-hmm. um, for sure. So uh, y- your pal, Sterling, he hips you to this 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 idea, and like, where do you where do you go from there? You think well, I, I want to be a comic a, colorist, and then and then uh, where do you start? It was a combo of um, Twitter being starting to become a thing, uh, and comics people being very generous with time and feedback. Uh, you know, things like Comic Twart were kind of kicking off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Uh, Things like, um, well, I mean, all the podcasts I was listening to kind of clued me into, um, you know, who who was doing work that I was excited about at the time. And so I was, you know, following specific people and seeing, you know, kind of what niches, niches I might fill or what styles I was interested in. Um, and like, so I, it really just came down to I need art for samples. Um, uh-huh. And that meant scouring the internet and learning. Well, again, Photoshop has like been my bread and butter since like 1999. So like I know how to 
resize kind of thumbnail quality inks to a degree that they're passable at like <laughs> uh, certain resolutions to still color them. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was able to find like scans of, of people's commissions or other art and either share it on Twitter or like put it up on, uh, on like a Tumblr or something like that. And although that was a little later, um, I can't remember. I had a web, I had a website based off some other terrible mm -hmm. like content management thing. Anyway, uh, the, the short version is I had a print portfolio that I decided I was going to take to shows. I knew that Marvel and DC would accept submit like uh, portfolio submissions at like San Diego and you might get a review like with somebody. Mm -hmm. um, and so in one summer, I planned to go, and this was when I was in Georgia. So I went to, oh, what was it called? Dragon Con? It was like F uh, FX no. Con, I okay. think, which was in, or it was in Orlando. Okay. Uh, um, I was going to go to FX Con, which was a small show, and then I was going to go to San Diego. Um, well, I went to San Diego, uh, and we met briefly there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, we, uh, but I did not get chosen for a portfolio review. So that was like the biggest waste of money. <laughs> uh, like, uh, you know, I got, a, I got, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. Uh, there was, there was a really nice guy that was doing something. Uh, he was, I'm not, I'm going to get it wrong. So I'm not going to try there. I got a, the only good review I got of it from anybody was, uh, from a semi drunk pro at a bar, um, <laughs> who was in no position to like, recommend me for anything but he like was encouraging and i was like okay well i know i'm i it was just bad timing and me being uh kind of not good at uh socializing enough to like get into the right situations yeah. and knowing the right people anyway but so you a, didn't you didn't was, meet anybody that time out that like you that, followed that, up that was that was a pretty disheartening and expensive flub but then i went to FXCon like right after and there was like nobody at this show and it was right before all these people blew up. It was Hickman, who had just signed his Marvel exclusive. Uh -huh. uh, Matt Kent. Um, oh, Lord. Uh, Francesco Francavilla. Um, and, like, ah, I'm going to forget a couple people. There was, like, two or three other people that were just on the cusp of, like, of the kind of blowing up that they were going to do within the next six months to a year. Mm -hmm. And because no one was there, I had a lot of time with all of them and they were all like, uh, yeah, you're ready. You just gotta, we just gotta, you just gotta put into the right, in front of the right eyeballs. And Hickman gave me maybe the, still the best portfolio review of my life. Cause like I enjoy, you know, art school, you know, prepares you for harsh criticism and things like that. So I'm like, and I knew he was, uh, not going to be shy if he didn't like something. Uh, <laughs> and he gave some of the best, um, advice, you know, he was like, you know, some of these are not pro artists that are in your samples. You should always make sure that you are using the best art from the best people because that's what tells Marvel and DC that you bring you right. bring quality to the to to the table that they are missing. Uh, because if you can make the best of the best look good, then you're inherently valuable and they will want you. Uh, you know, you know, don't be afraid to do stuff in a way that's more weird or like expressionistic because. Anybody can do the local color, you know, grass is green, sky is blue stuff. Go get as weird and wild with it as you want. Uh, and people will probably be more interested. Uh, yeah, it just, he, he was just really honest and, again, gave me an almost 45 minutes to an hour this time, oh, wow. which I was, I've was i always been incredibly thankful for because, again, nobody was at that show. Uh, so And that, was, that cost me almost nothing to go to, and that gave, that gave me all the confidence and, like, advice and all that mm -hmm. that – 
could have ever wanted. So then I just, I just hit it harder. You know, I emailed you cause I knew you were looking for somebody to do something with and, you know, started talking to people on Twitter and, you know, it kind of fizzled out for about a year. Uh, and I, I can't remember, remember what all, but then, but, but a bunch of people knew who I was and were kind of pulling for me. Mm-hmm. And then Nate, Nate Cosby over at dynamite, he formerly of Marvel, um, he had just started running a bunch of different things at Dynamite, put out one of his kind of now frequent calls for colorists right. or artists on on Twitter. And uh, he randomly replied to me. And like within a week, I was working on King's Watch with uh, Jeff Parker and Je- Mark Lamming. Oh, wow. Which was which was the shadow and and uh, not the shadow, uh, the phantom uh, Flash Gordon and uh, oh, Lord. What's his name? The magician. Uh, uh, I just blanked. Mandrake, Mandrake, the magician. Oh, geez. Uh, uh, fighting, you know, Ming the Merciless invading the earth or whatever. So, uh, and from there, I did a cover with Gabe Hardman on a Magnus the Robot Fighter thing, right as he was like looking for a new colorist on Star Wars Legacy. So, within like a month of King's Watch coming out, I was doing more King's Watch. Uh, I was doing a bunch of covers and then I was doing Star Wars Legacy with Gabe, which was uh, kind of a mind fuck. Uh, can I say fuck? <laughs> I, I feel, I, I remember, yeah, like I remember that came on really pretty fast. Um, so then, you and, know. And, and I was, I, I was kind of, what's it, well, what's interesting about it is like, I know those people. Like, it's really weird to me that you're the, like, that you came up with people who like, I actually have relationships with, and it's unrelated to me. I, I, you know, as far as I understand. Right. Right. And it's just like, there's little, like, I don't know, these, these little pockets of the comics community that get along with each other. Well, whatever reason. And and I was interacting with like Declan and Jordy and a couple people on Mm -hmm. Twitter at that point already, who were again, all being really supportive and like, um, and like, uh, you know, just generous with their time, you know, just talking to me about stuff. Uh, which, uh, you know, that was the wonderful thing about Twitter about 10 years ago. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> it's a whole different uh, ballgame now. But, yeah, you're right. It's hard to even imagine it being this positive force in my life. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, it's well, funny because a lot of the folks that are, like, working pros now, uh, you know, yourself and, and you, know, other, uh, uh, you know, Mitch Garrett's is, I think, a good example, sort of came up around the same time with the same sort of thing. And, you know, Twitter was, you know, essential to the ascendance of these folks. Uh, Twart, you know, is one of those things where Comic Twart was, it was a huge deal for, for just this, this certain crop, this class of people that I think that you are, you know, parallel with. Uh, yeah, it's, it's weird. Cause like I've, I've only like re other than a couple of them only recently started kind of talking with all of them, even though like, and they were all like six months to a year ahead of me a yeah. little bit. Um, and so that's been interesting just being, and and it's all, but it's also, I found my own weird little, little crew, mm-hmm. not as much through Twitter, uh, so much as, um, a group of people that I was, I mean, just essential. Cause I was working a day job when I was first starting and, uh, I'm trying to remember whose idea originally was probably Marissa, a colorist named Marissa Louise, who works on uh, a lot of DC, like vertigo and other things now, her and, um, I don't, I'm just gonna start naming names. Uh, my friend Brian Level, Tamara Bonvillain, Ramon Villalobos, um, Nick Barber, and a handful of other people. We 
became this weird little club that I, uh, not really a club, but, uh, we were all, you know, night owls working late, weird hours and would get on Google hangout and would just sit with the mic on for five or six hours every night while we would all be doing our pages and our random work. Uh, and, and, you know, Ella and Chris Sabella was part of that group at that point too. Mm -hmm. So like, uh, so, you know, now it's, now it's this weird thing where we're all, we all kind of, you know, we all still keep in touch. We all still pretty close, but that core group there have all kind of graduated into, well, I mean, Tamara got nominated for coloring last, last week. And, Mm -hmm. uh, Chris is, you know, crowded got nominated and Green Lantern Earth One got nominated. We're like, we're all like, we're all kind of coming into, uh, into our own now. And that's, that's kind of cool. And we're like the wave behind those, the twart, the twart crew a little bit. So let me take it back a, a, a little tiny bit there. And so what's interesting to me is that you were really learning while you were doing on the job. It's, it's not as if you'd, you'd come up in a bunch of like really indie comics that were getting published and, you know, like you pretty quickly went from like, here's what my stuff looks like to working on pro stuff. You know, like, what did you... Some of that Some of that is because digital art was a thing I was already familiar with. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was doing, uh, you know, digital illustration and concept art and, and matte paintings and, you know, digital image make and, dig- and like, image, um, you know, manipulation and, and retouching. So, like, it was... It, some of it was, like, you know, and having an art history, you know, minor and all that stuff. Like, I just... I knew art. I knew the technology. And that really did uh, translate? And, like is 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 sort of seamlessly i mean uh so it's that and just like you know it was it was just putting in the hours i mean i definitely put in the oh sure yeah thousand hours thing uh like that that was i mean yeah but also you know the the challenge and like thrill of learning new things is kind of like yeah kind of like my whole deal Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh so which is why all of my hobbies end up becoming things i want to make into careers yeah uh probably a little bit was Um, there anything that you you know now that you wish you'd known then though outside like um, the craft part not time management or what you know business you know like but sort of like oh i i wasted time doing this or or you know like designing for print as opposed to digital or or anything like that I mean, there was definitely, well, I mean, okay, some of that early, those early samples I was doing, and mm-hmm. I think this was something that held me back, uh, was because I had been doing stuff for purely digital, mm-hmm. you know, final product. Uh, uh, like, I remember in Dave McKaig's old colorist forum, uh, Gutter Zombie, um, which is another huge part of my, like, mm-hmm. s- starting out, because people like Dave or, or Laura Martin, uh, uh, or John Roush or some of those people would, would be around in that forum and would give really good critiques of mm-hmm. everybody that posted, which is bananas, uh, really. Does, it, does anything it. like that exist anymore? Nope, because there's not a, not a central hub as much. That's I mean, crazy. well, you know what? I take that back. I think it's starting, and I think uh, Nick Filardi's uh, Discord group is becoming that a little bit. Huh. Um, so, like, you know, Discord is kind of like Slack, but it was originally for gamers and right. we're all kind of a lot of my friends are moving over to it for managing like kind of like smaller smaller social media circles almost yeah. uh, instead of so where like private conversations happen you cool. know uh like so nick who also does like twitch streams now of coloring and tutorial stuff uh his discord group has like i 
it's kind of blown up in the last year around his like streaming schedule. And like, I think it's becoming, it's becoming what gutter zombie was back in the day, which is cool to see. Cause, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have ha- wouldn't have had a clue how to handle, you know, how dark my like digital, you know, painting was at the time and figure out how to bring all that back up to what would print in a way that, that works. Um, and I probably, I, I went from being like, everything was way too dark to, I was too worried about that. And, like would do things with like where nothing would print with black ink. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, but weirdly, weirdly that taught me color theory better than I had previously uh, grasped it before. And so now it's just still part of my process. Sometimes, uh, introducing constraints was Mm -hmm. a huge part of me developing a style that was, uh, fast enough to keep up with the merry go round of monthly comics scheduling. Mm -hmm. So what was the biggest challenge for you at that early, at that early, early point? Uh, finding, finding art that didn't suck, um, <laughs> to, to try and get, do samples of, uh, that felt like the kind of stuff I wanted to be doing. Um, that was my thing. Cause like I enjoy superhero stuff, but I don't actually think that's my strongest. Uh, I don't think my, that's my strongest work or my like passion, like, um, you know, I, I prefer kind of grittier, textury kind of horror, sci-fi, crime, you know, that kind of realm. Because, and I think that's some of my it's like film background. I like cinematic lighting and, uh, you know, more more um, moody, atmospheric stuff. Not that superhero comics don't have that. Just it's it's a crapshoot whether that's going to be what what you're on. Right. Um, and you know, you kind of are stuck making sure that every character is in their trademark colors a little bit. Um, anyway, but like things like Tony Moore's, uh, samples where he had, you know, that Western kind of horror pages and like walking dead pages. He had the, and fear agent pages. Uh, those became like, like those were when I think my portfolio started to catch people's attention too. not, not just because of my work, but because it's really, it's really not hard to make Tony look good too. Uh, (laughs) Cause he's real good. He's um, real good. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was, it was a matter of finding samples that, that let me do something interesting on that was like, here's the work that I want to be, want to be doing. Uh, and that was, that was part of it. Do you consider yourself to have a style? I, I think I probably do. Uh, I don't, I would not know how to describe it because it is, still pretty different between the different books. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I have a palette. I think I don't, I don't okay. know that I have a rendering style, but I have a palette and some tendencies that probably mm-hmm. recur. I, I think I, I tend to prefer warmer, warmer palettes, uh, even, even for things like night scenes and, and stuff like that. Uh, I just, uh, there's something, something about, playing with warm nights and like, and like keeping things like from being too cool. It's, I don't know why it's just, it's a, it's a thing that I do a lot and people have, have pointed out to me that I rarely go full, you know, cool blues and greens and purples. Um, do you find and I that, like texture. Do you find that people, Grit. I don't, I don't think fandom largely is, is fluent in that type of language. And I, 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 I only am in the vaguest sort of notion, but like beyond 
even just say maybe the artists that you're working with or other colorists are are like are comic book professionals fluent in that sort of language and stuff or is it more like they know what they like artists tend to be um uh-huh. uh and you know i i've been lucky with the people i've worked with too um you know rem, you know writers like rick uh remender have like they're artists too so like right. um uh and you know anymore gabe and gabe you know writes everything with karina now so like I'm a lot of the writers I work with are, are artists too. Mm-hmm. Um, so that helps. Um, and I don't know, it's, I, I find, and this isn't to like crap on fandom at large, but I feel like my audience, like the people that I'm, whose feedback I cherish and who like, who are the ones that actually notice things really mm-hmm. tend to be art, the artists like, um, um, like I, I rarely hear from fans as much, especially like it shows, like mm-hmm. if I table at a convention, you know, anybody that comes, most people that come to my table, if they knew who I am, they probably already have everything, uh, or they're, you know, the, the person trying to just get signatures from everybody, right. um, already. But the people that come to my table all excited are usually artists that I haven't worked with before or like, or, or artists I have like, like. They're, they're my audience. <laughs> right. Well, and, the, and, the, and which is, you know, and there's, there's the dual part of that is they're also my job security too. Sure. Cause artists wanting to work with me is pretty much the only way I'm going to have longevity in the industry. So, yeah. Well, it's interesting because, uh, you know, I, I've spent the, I mean, the larger part of my adult life learning to talk about comics and I still don't feel like I have the language. Like I can, I can say, Oh, this color, this, this is good color. This is not great color. But I don't always know. Even if I know why, I don't know that I have a language to, to to talk about that, or even and certainly not to get into the nuance like like you're able to. And I'm wondering, like when I talk when I talk to letters, I know that the deal with lettering is, and I don't mean to lump you in with letters, but you know where I'm getting at. Uh, you know, when you talk to letters, their job is to sort of not be noticed. And I'm sure, I'm, like as a colorist, do you, do you think in those terms? Like how? Like where do you? place yourself in the overall sort of mix of what makes up a comic book. Like how do you, what do you view your role as? Does it change? It It's interesting because, and we actually debate about this, uh, a fair amount, like, like internally colorists, we kind of talk about this some, um, like we think there's a lot of, there's a lot of times when, uh, fans and readers are responding to, a combo of us and the artist, but only attributing what they're responding to, to the artist. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's, that's not in like an arrogant people just don't appreciate what we're bringing to the table kind of a thing so much as like, um, I think it's really hard for most people to separate the ink from what the colorist is doing. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, and so there's, there kind of isn't always a clear ability for people or reviewers even to, to distinguish why something's working because of one versus the other or a, or a symphony of the two together. Uh, I think of my job, uh, as clarity, bringing clarity, making sure that the clarity of the storytelling is maintained, uh, and accentuated and, uh, and that, um, my job's not to, not to be overbearing. It's not to like, Con, like to make it's to make sure that the artist looks 
as good as they possibly can. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it really, like that's, a, it, it is, and it is a job more of embellishment and improvement than of like any, like anything else. Like you're just there, there to make them look good. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's sometimes hard to objectively know what, what that means. Like, and so I don't know, but I also think I'm, I, it's it's a lot of trial and error and just knowing based off of my taste what looks right to me um so it's uh, although there are there are a lot of tricks for like okay this person's talking i want to make sure they're where the you know the eye is you know going in this panel you know so they need to be brighter or warmer you know the background needs to be darker foreground people need to be silhouetted a little bit you know the stuff like that there's tricks like that that make storytelling work better but for the most part um, yeah, it's, it's mostly just maintaining the intent of the artist and just trying to make, make them look like, you know, rock stars. Mm-hmm. Do you find that difficult? Like, does your eager ego ever find that difficult to sort of deal with? I'm sure there are some people who do, but like, like, how do you look at it? Weirdly? No, I, I actually have the reverse, uh, and I will not name names, but there are times where you're working on something uh, and you feel like the artist is not as good maybe. Uh, and you mm-hmm. feel like that, like y- you would think that working on somebody's stuff that you love would be more intimidating. Uh, but I've actually tended to find that that was easier because, and it might just be because I like them because they complement my own style too. Like if I, again, if I have one, I don't even know how I would classify that. But anyway, uh, when, when you're working on art that maybe is not as good and you feel like you're having to, and I feel like I'm having to, um, like the bringing clarity to the situation thing Mm -hmm. is real hard. (laughs) Interesting. Uh, um, and it's also, and you know, you just, you just want you. And if you've done a good job, then you will not be noticed for it. Right, right. And uh, like, and they're, yeah, exactly. And you do, but you also don't want to get, uh, set. Like, I feel like there have been times where maybe something I worked on, I like might've hurt me because it's hard again, because it's hard to distinguish what the colorist is doing versus what the artist is doing. If it just looks bad in the end, you know, I still feel like I'm kind of lumped in with that. Uh, I'm again. I I don't want to talk shitty about anybody. No, no. I but I but as a concept, I think it's an interesting like challenge that I don't think that readers necessarily think about. Um. So it's 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 an interesting perspective for me. Even you know, having talked a lot about this stuff, I I don't think I've considered that. And you know, like it's it's sort of like, but do other like do other pros notice that? Like, have you ever gotten and and again, this isn't about you talking about shit or anything. I'm curious about like who out there has the ability to sort of recognize the strength of the work or in the sort of what kind of professionals do like, like will an editor be able to spot that kind of thing? Or is it just like only colorists can tell? Um, I mean, certain editors for sure that's can. Cool. And that, and that's why, and that's why they're good at their job. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but they're all, but you know, they're also diplomats by yeah. design a little bit. So it's, it's not going to be like, <laughs> this looked like shit until you came along. Um, you know, but <laughs> you, you might, you might hear that at a bar at a con later down the line, you know? Um, 
from somebody uh-huh. that, that, you know, but, uh, you know, I, man, artists in general are pretty sharp yes. because they know how they, they like, they know how they like to be colored. And I've learned a lot from listening to artists and certain other either Skype or Google Hangout groups. Uh, yeah, we all, yeah, it's a whole thing. Anyway, um, hearing, hearing them have very strong, excuse me, have very strong opinions about, uh, stuff that I, that I even like sometimes, Mm -hmm. but they hate. And it's always interesting to hear, (laughs) you know, they think, they think so-and-so is overworking this one artist or, or, you know, this person's just, you know, phoning it in or what, anyway, there's, there's, it's pretty self-regulating between mm-hmm. colorists and artists all talking to each other. And I mean, it not, it's not that it's all shit talky gossip, but sure. like, you know, we're all opinionated because that's, that's, we're kind of, it's kind of our job to have yes. taste and that like, so we all have strong views about what does and doesn't work and we'll argue incessantly about it. And, uh, even when I disagree, I still learn new ways to think about, uh, problem solving um because that's that's still what coloring is in a lot of ways mm-hmm. is it's a problem solving as much as it is an aesthetic um kind of discipline when you're when you're working uh like say on a on a, a big two book or like you know an editorial staff behind it are you doing most of your collaboration with the artist directly or uh or is it through um, an editor or anything it depends um if it's a book where i have a previous relationship with the artist Mm -hmm. which more and more is becoming the case like i just have people that i tend to work with um you know it's just who's cc'd on the email chain um but you know if it's you know a lot of marvel stuff in particular i feel like i'm mostly talking to an editor unless there's a problem or or if a book's running late and an artist is having to send me inks directly or something like that Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I don't know. A lot of my work the last couple of years has been with people that I am pretty tight with personally. So it like just kind of tends to happen that we all we all are pretty. Yeah, we're all we're all all on the thread. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, if it do you think you set your career up that way or is it just happen that way? Because it sounds like I mean, my, if, if I was you, that's the way I would want to have it, too. It is for sure. I mean, my mantra and pretty much if I wasn't doing comics, if I was doing movies or whatever, that any of the creative endeavors that I would want to be a part of, uh, just making cool stuff with cool people is yeah. kind of like it is a it is a social thing, too. Um, like uh, that is definitely a by design kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, like at what point would you consider uh, you know, that you, you like, like, when did you, when were you able to like quit your day job and when were you able to do this as, as your, as your career? Um, let's see, I was doing, so I was doing King's Watch at Dynamite. I was doing Star Wars Legacy at Dark Horse, which was still one of the better page rates I've ever gotten. Really? <laughs> Star uh, I guess cause it was Star Wars. Yeah. And, uh, and well, it's about commensurate with what I make on most things now. But at the uh-huh. time, I was like, oh, shit, if I can get this rate on everything, uh, I will be good, um, which didn't happen <laughs> for a <laughs> while. Um, so I was doing King's Watch, Star Wars Legacy, uh, and I'm, gonna, I'm praying I don't uh, – and I did a book called Knuckleheads with my friend Robert Wilson, 
and Brian Winkler, who were both Oklahoma City and Oklahoma City at the same time, oh. which got put out through uh, Oni? Monkey Brain, Monkey no. Brain, and no, then, okay, and then, but then IDW put out the trade. Um, uh, let's see. Oh, and I did the Adventures of Mar- Miraculous or something. Adventures of Miranda Mercury with oh i'm gonna forget everybody's name which archaea put out there was like a couple drips and drabs of stuff that was coming out uh like way after i'd already done the work but and i did umbral which was an image book with anthony johnston and chris mitten uh so i was doing okay doing those and my day job it was getting to be a lot like i mean that's why i was staying up till you know four in the morning with google hangout friends Mm -hmm. uh all the time uh but I I had in my head when I get a Marvel gig that's ongoing or or a DC gig at DC I had no ends with at the time Marvel seemed more likely and it was uh, when I got Ant Man uh, at Marvel was when I when I just I called it uh, on the day job mm-hmm. uh, and yeah haven't haven't had to I've had more work than I probably even should have taken on ever since so. How long uh, ago was that? I'm trying to think about which which Ant Man was that. Like this that was the beginning of that was the beginning of the Spencer. Uh, oh, the yeah. next Spencer run. Okay, got it. Um, and I, there was a couple different. It was actually two different books. Uh, I know it ended up being like twenty something issues in total, uh, but I can't remember what the what the adjective was on the first one. Yeah, I can't. Uh, or if I the get first one was just, up. or if the first one was just Ant Man and the next one was the something. Ant-Man. It was with the bear guy. Uh, yeah, it was it was when he moved to Miami and, yeah. and started the security agency and stuff. And man, I loved that book. And and even watching uh, Endgame this last weekend, I yeah. was just like, man, Ant Man's still my boy. <laughs> yeah, that was. I mean, I'll, so that would have been I'll, around the time of the first Ant Man because that was like the for sure. Scott yeah, Lane it was. Book. It was the. It was the. Yeah, it was definitely the like. Here's the book we want people to look at when the movie comes out, kind of uh-huh. thing. Cool. Uh, so that was that was when I that was when it became official. This is what I do now. And was that satisfying at that point, or was it like about time? Oh, oh, oh! It was a mix of both. I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, when I got a Star Wars book with Gabriel Hardman right off the bat, I was pretty much like, well, even if this all just falls to shit in another year, that's a pretty cool thing to get to do. You know, I I know that. Um... I, I knew you you were good at the thing you do, but when I saw that happening, I thought, oh, he's definitely got it. Because I know that Gabe does not mince his uh, – Gabe put up, wants – Put up put nothing, up with anything? With nothing. <laughs> with nothing. And I, I was like, well, it, it made me feel good because I was like, if I could recognize that, that, that you had the stuff it took. And then, you know, Gabe, who is much more discerning than I am, also thought that. I was like, oh, awesome. Way to go, Jordan. And I genuinely thought that because – I, I know that he has very specific sort of tastes and, 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 you know, standards for that kind of stuff. And, and that you've also continued to work with him all that time to the, the recently Eisner nominated uh, Green Lantern book that you guys did. So that's kind of awesome. Well, it was, and thank you. Yeah, no, I, I, I felt like I, I felt like I felt more safe. Like I was like, mm-hmm. okay, people who I respect and people I know, like do not, would not would not like the imposter syndrome thing still crops up when sure. I'm at shows sometimes when I'm hanging out with people. Mm-hmm. Um uh but like but it was things like working with Gabe and Karina or um 
uh, or having Rick ask me to take over on Deadly Class, where I was like, well, I am just going to have to tell myself that I'm good enough at this point um, and stop and stop having them like minor panic attacks about like, am I like, are people just nice? Are people just nice? Mm. <laughs> um, Cause I, you know, I, and God, that sounds, this sounds arrogant, but I was like, Rick has the best eye for art. Like in this business, I think he does. Uh, I mean, no, just, you're, you're not wrong. He does. It's just not even, it's not even close. Like I can't think of anybody who curates uh, their collaborators as well. I, as I mean, does. I put him, um, he, him, uh, I think Hickman's another guy who's really good at it, who you mentioned. Uh, t- Joe Casey doesn't do as much of it anymore, but he was always that guy. He could pick out guys, you know, to, to work with. And he wasn't an artist, whereas, you know, Hickman and Remender are. Um, I always tend to think, but there's there's certain, you know, comic book writers, and I'm doing air quotes because that also sort of changes around, but like who just, and, and you know, Rick's another one. He just, he's like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to work with anybody, but the people who I really love and respect and, and God, it just shows in their body of work, you know, like it just, for sure. There's no clunkers because they wouldn't, they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't take that fill in guy. They wouldn't take that house guy who we don't really know. And, you know, is fine, but not that interesting. And I, I think I wish the market sort of respected that more, but it does respect it enough that it lets those people have strong enough careers. For sure. And so, you know, it was stuff like that where I was like, okay, as long as I just don't fuck up royally or have like an eye injury or something, mm-hmm. like, uh, oh. I can probably keep doing this. <laughs> so what do you, what do you, uh, like, how, do, how does this affect your sort of enjoyment of comic books? What do you see about the, the medium now? Or like, how do you see it differently than you used to? What sucks is I literally have no time to follow anything anymore. Um, <laughs> I... Uh, I I will go on benders on you know Amazon or go into a shop uh, and just buy a big stack of stuff. I'm like I know I need to get caught up on X Y and Z or like or I'll see previews or see people posting you know stuff that they're working on on Twitter. I'm like God that looks fantastic, and then uh, it just kind of piles up uh, and I'll browse it all. Uh, but please don't ask me what I'm reading because I could not answer it. Uh, right. <laughs> um, in a way that would not be either a lie or, or like, uh, or just me looking at my shelf and being like, I guess I'm looking at those, um, right now. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's, I, I have a harder time enjoying, um, things that aren't just really good. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> whereas I used to, whereas I used to follow characters and and things a little bit more closely, um, I have to know that something's either going to be. It, I pretty much have to know something's going to be really interesting for me to even bother anymore. And but I've also gotten weird about uh, just reading random European stuff that I don't actually know anything about, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, like. I'm trying to think. I'm I'm not gonna get names wrong, so I, and nothing's in front of me, so I can't list anything. I understand uh, that to back up to back up these claims. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I you know my and you know I get I get just tired too. So it's like the last thing I want to look at at the end of a day <laughs> of doing you know mm-hmm. four to eight pages of something is to look at more comic books. 
<laughs> which is to kind of sad, but it just means that I've had to find other things uh, that that give me that that are like the hobby enjoyment of it that I do kind of miss out on now. Um, well, that's what not happens. That I don't still not that I don't still love things when sure. I do read them. It's just uh, the like, oh, what do I turn to at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. It isn't usually comics anymore. Well, when you when you make your your hobby and your passion your job, that that can happen. For sure. Now, now I just play Dungeons and Dragons with people, and that's like my hobby. <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, oh. <laughs> when you when you sort of when, when you're looking at other, this is a question I've actually had: is as a colorist, you know, there's the there's the digital schism, basically. There's when comics went digital. Do you ever look at the art from before that and and look at the color in any sort of meaningful way, or do you Weirdly, think about it in those terms? Weirdly, yes, because I, in the last couple of years, have started. I can't remember the name of the process, or like, or like, uh, a lot of pre-digital coloring still seems like magic to me. Yeah, uh, like that any that anybody could think that way. Like I see the color guides where they were just like fussing around with like different dye mixtures and having to blog all of them to send a like production people to actually execute like that just, I could never, it's done insane. It at that point. And I, um, I don't, I don't but, even fully understand it, but I know that there was a person called a separator and just whatever that entails, it just boggles my mind. Sound. It's the worst. Sounds like the worst. It does. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, I look at things from like the late eighties. Uh, I, and I can't remember what printing technology this was where, and we, you know, uh, I guess Dark Knight Strike or, uh, Dark Knight Returns did this a little bit. Um, or, uh, I'm thinking like Cosmic Odyssey to come back to the Mignola, uh, mm-hmm. kind of realm. That stuff where there is like a painterly, not quite watercolor, but, but like there's definitely kind of variation and texture to it. It's, it's yeah. not just flat, it's not just flat color. But it's but it's still pre digital, right? Um, there's I, something about that stuff that I've been looking at a lot, and I find really pleasing. That or um, or again European stuff like the mm-hmm. way uh, certain like Mobius stories, like yeah, they're mostly flat, but they're still like I can see wash, I can see yeah. like grain of like the paper, and like and like there's paint involved, and like. There's something about all that to me that is alchemy, that is magical, and that I kind of, I think I try and capture a little bit even in my work, even though I work purely digitally. Like I, I like having a little bit of paper texture in there, uh, and like even if it's artificial, like uh-huh. I just I like I like the artifice of of it feeling like there is a hand or or a or a chemical or a, or a, you know, something happening that yeah. isn't just, you know, pixels. Um, and you know, it's, you know, it's fake, but, uh, it adds something to it for me, uh, that I respond to. Uh, and I guess it's possible that might be what my style might be or what people might respond to in my work. Um, uh, some, uh, I don't know. I think that, I think that one of the things that happens in translation is that, you know, you as the artist give it all these specific thoughts that you're doing. 
Now, that doesn't necessarily translate literally to the person reading it, but I think that that care does, that thoughtfulness does. Like, you don't necessarily know why it works, but you know it does. I've always I've always had to believe that because I don't know any other way to work. Um, like, uh, and I, and, you know, I think about, uh, like, Guillermo del Toro films where I know from, like, director's commentaries and things, like, the the insane level of, like, thinking about every little prop color choice or, you know, just some of those things that are all subcon- like important to the people making it and probably only register on a subconscious level to the, to the consumer. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I've always had to, be- had to believe for my own sanity that that means something, <laughs> uh, uh, to people. And that's why people respond to certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, otherwise I probably am spinning my wheels on a lot of stuff that no one else but me cares about. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what that's what comics is. I mean, if they're being done well, if they're not, then I don't want to know. Like, I don't want that. I want I, I want that to be happening. I don't want the opposite. Like, eh, they won't know the difference. It's shit. Who cares? You know, like that thought uh, is is deadly to me. I, and I know it exists. Oh, for sure. And there there are times where we all are guilty of it. Uh, well, but uh, you got to make the donuts. Like, yeah, you, you got to. Uh, <laughs> it is. Well, and I mean, that's I mean, that's a big part of colorists and letters like entire lifestyle too is you know they're they're you know ideally you know you have a book or so a book maybe a book and a half a week that you have to work on but you know one artist is late or one you know print deadline gets moved or you know i'm sick or my kids are sick or you know one day gets missed that was crucial and all of a sudden everything's due in like a week and a half period that should have had, you know, a month, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you you just, it can play havoc with everything. Well, that that was actually the sort of the next sort of area I was going to go to is like, how did, uh, you know, how have you worked out what your time management is in this? Because comics will grind a freelance to the ground if, if, if you're good enough and they give you enough work and they, you let them, you know, I'm assuming that, you know, learning the craft is one thing, but learning the, that side of it all is a whole other ball game. I feel like I'm still learning a big, horrible, horribly difficult lessons every year at, at various points. Um, I, it was around the time my son was born three years ago, uh, when some things just had to change or mm-hmm. I, I was just going to be dead. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, like, uh, there was just no amount of, uh, n- like no way I could not go without sleep the way I had up to that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, my body wouldn't let me like I, and I've, I've hit a point now where, uh, I couldn't even pull an all nighter if I wanted to, like my body would just die. It would just give out on me. Right. Uh, or I'd get, or I'd get sick instantly and it would just do it all. It all spirals out of control really easily. So I've just gotten better about saying to myself, uh, you know, around, you know, Five forty-five, six o'clock. I'm done. If I have an hour later where I feel like I'm still like lights on, you know, mm-hmm. or if I absolutely have to have something done for the morning, uh, I can maybe put in three or four hours in the evening. But none of the like staying up till four o'clock in the morning, uh, like half the days of the week that I used to do, uh, and you know, just being trying to be as 
uh, honest with myself because I'm prone to wishful thinking because I think, oh, back in the day I could do this whole you know issue in two and a half days if I had to. And so then it's just like, well, I might have to. So let's just count on that being the plan. And then, and then it kind of can fall apart and, you know, uh, and I'm bad sometimes about having that wishful thinking carry over to what I think is my honest assessment of how long something's going to take. Mm-hmm. And I'm, that's always the given, give and take of it is I want to be as honest as possible with editors. If they want somebody else to help, you know, carry the load or if I'm, or we need to m- maybe move a deadline or whatever, you know, it's, it's a process. I mean, there are times where I screw up. There are times where other people screw up. There are times where things are just out of my hands. Uh, and, but you know, it anymore, I'm trying to draw, I'm getting better at drawing boundaries, I guess is what I'm saying Uh, about about having, having, uh, giving myself permission to either say, I literally cannot make this happen. Uh, or, uh, or, or also saying, or advocating for myself, like, yeah, I might even be able to do this, but I shouldn't, have to because I'm a human being who should be able to get a night's sleep occasionally. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you, do you, I mean, that conversation has been part of the, I mean, certainly I've seen it uh, among, you know, social media with, with comics professionals. And I feel like a lot more light has been shined on this. Cause there was definitely like, it's not as prevalent, but there's still an Iron Man sort of attitude to, to some comics folks, but it's, it's softened. Like, have you noticed like, how does that seem from the from the industry standpoint, from editorial? Like, is there a understanding of that? It, you know, like people have families, people have you know, they're not they're not children anymore. You know, they can't do that. Like, what's been your experience with that? And you don't have to throw them under a bus. <laughs> I've I've tended to have pretty good experiences with people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, there's always the fear. There's always a huge amount of anxiety and fear um, that if if something happens and I can't deliver on something or if I'm, or if I, I, or if I feel like I'm the problem on something, uh, or if I'm making somebody else's life harder, I'm always like, well, I guess I'm burnt. I guess that bridge is burnt. I'll never hear from these people again. And, you know, so far that hasn't really happened. Um, but like, uh, I mean, some people almost always people say, say the right things. It's always like, well, of course, family comes first or, right. you know, you got to take, take care of yourself. But, you know, there's always the part of you that wonders, are they, are, do they really mean that? Or are they just saying that because they know they can't say anything else? You know, uh, I will not name a name here. Uh, there is an old, old and beloved pro artist who, uh, at, fake, faked accidentally CCing me on an email to complain Ooh. about me to an inker, uh, that was maybe the worst case of this I've ever seen where the editors were fine with everything that was going on. Cause this was when around the time our son was born and you know, there were some, uh, there was some health scares and I was like a day late on a book that wasn't going to press for like two more months. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> and it was clear that the artist just didn't like me for various reasons. And uh, yeah, CC'd his inker, to say how unprofessional I was for playing the sick wife card and all this other kind of stuff. And, uh, I quit, I quit that book and the editors were suitably horrified and, you know, it was all, it was all good. It all had upside for me, but it was uh-huh. like shocking. It was shocking behavior Wow! Uh, from some, from somebody I, uh, had previously admired. 
I will not name names. No, I'm not. I, I wouldn't expect you to on recording. <laughs> but uh, it's, well, but it, <laughs> uh, I'll tell you privately. I don't know. Actually, sometimes but, I don't want to know. It's it's funny. Like I've met. I, I my 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 record of like people I've met being cool is is extremely high. Uh, there's a there's like a couple more people who I've decided I just don't want to meet because I don't want to know. I don't want to chance it. Like it's sure. it's funny because you were talking about Mignola. Mignola is the one I drew the line on. I didn't want to interview yeah, him. I didn't want to meet him. I don't want to know anything else about him. I just want the work. Yeah, I don't. If if I met him and he was a dick to me or something, that would be a real problem. Yeah. like I would have a real hard time with that. <laughs> and I don't think that would happen. I honestly, I have not heard that about the man. I've never heard anything bad. I, it isn't that. I just went. You know, no, I'm not. Garth Ennis is another one. Like I did an interview with him one time, and I just thought, you know what? I don't want to know anything else. In fact, I won't even listen to other people's interviews with him. I don't want to know. I just want the work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have that for sure. Yeah, uh, I would probably I would have no idea what to even talk about with Grant Morrison, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I wish I could be a fly on the wall <laughs> like, <laughs> and like or or I don't know, take take hallucinogens or something with him. But like, I, I don't know, like I have no I have no I like no idea what I would talk to with mm-hmm. the man. But, you know, it's one of those people whose work has meant a lot to me. So it's like it's like, uh, yeah, it's probably better, probably better just to keep keep that keep that barrier. My idea with Grant Morrison is that, like, if you got to know him and he would he would be just a real just he'd be just be a real dude. And and, and it would you'd like you'd burst through that facade of his image that he's got. I knew a guy. Right. He just was, he just has such a very curated yeah. like persona. Right. And I kind of want that. Pers- I kind of want that yes. to be maintained a little bit. <laughs> yep. No, that's true. I knew a guy who used to talk to him like all the time on the phone. And I was like, what must that be like? <laughs> and this was way back when, you know, like before I knew a lot of people and I just thought, that's amazing. He, he uses a phone. <laughs> like, <and I> just, <laughs> you know, he's, he would use a scrying dish and, and Ravens and shit. But I, I think, I think what I want more from more than anything is I just wish that, uh, I just wish we could get Morrison to like, just review a, a bunch of random pop culture, uh, on a daily basis. Uh, I, cause I just think his, his viewpoint is always so off like just not it's never it's never as straightforward or uh, as as it you would yeah yeah i mean i admire uh, i he's the best <laughs> have, you, have you read super gods oh yeah yeah i mean like there's a bit in there that changed my entire outlook on comics it changed completely how i look at comic books and that's like well into this i fanboy thing where he he basically was like they're supposed to be fun it should be silly. Why does Batman have to be serious? Who cares how he got there? And I was like, oh, it changed everything for me. Like in a paragraph. <laughs> and uh, I, I will never forget. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, you know, it was somewhere. I think I can't remember which issue number it is. Uh, All-Star Superman. The one uh, kind of like kind of the one where he's wrapping up all of his loose ends or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Like that. That that issue of that comic book is almost like a religious text for me. Like that was, there was just something that just like something primal clicked in me uh, about like about everything that the people talk about superheroes being myths that resonate and all that. And uh, so that his his work's always hit me on a level like that, which is clearly what he's aiming for. Um, yeah. And Super God's, you know, elucidated all that uh, a lot, too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, good stuff. Definitely. So, uh, like to 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 wrap it up, I guess. Like, 
you're coloring comics. You're 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 making it. You're doing the thing. Like, do you think about like where do I go from here? What what's next? Or is this is this the thing that you're doing? And is that is that cool? Or is that too existential um, a question? <laughs> I mean, it's something I think about all the time. Uh-huh. I mean, I have things I want to write, but I don't know if it would be comics. You know, uh, you know whether it would just be. I, it might just be stuff I do and put out as like on Kindle or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I have some like middle grade, like young adult kind of, uh, novels I plink around on and just need to f- actually fin. I don't finish things is my problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I like, hear you I mean, dog. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I, you know, I, you know, I want to do, I've got a couple picture books I want to do, uh, before my son gets too old to appreciate them, you know, um, you know, uh, I, I mentioned it earlier, but, uh, you know, and, and also the idea of all my hobbies end up becoming too much of a serious pursuit. Uh, you know, I running a Dungeons and Dragons campaign for a bunch of, uh, creatives, uh, has made me want to like figure out how to, <laughs> how to, how to maybe do something in the like tabletop sphere a little bit because mm-hmm. I've, I've, I feel like my, uh, it's been therapeutic, the social aspect of it, but also the, the idea of getting a bunch of people together, uh, and creating a story together through kind of not, I mean, kind of improv like mm-hmm. is, has become kind of like a crucial part of like my, um, what kind of gives me joy, like in being creative in a way that like, and my job does, mm-hmm. but um, it's it's still kind of a, a support role a little bit. Uh, and there's also something about about making a story with your friends that just for the hell of it, just because you're all having a blast, that has been very good for me. And I, I kind of want to figure out a way to make that a thing, whether that's a job, I don't know, mm-hmm. uh, in some way, or or a side side hustle or whatever. Um, but uh, I, you know, I like that. I like that community. I like, I like that that sphere, and I'm kind of looking at maybe what what could be done there. So it's really I cool. I, I, I like that. I like that as an answer, as a sort of you know, like, well, these are other creative outlets that that can help you feel fulfilled, and you've got a lot of options. Yeah, and like, I just always have, I always have things going, uh, and like, for me, it almost doesn't matter if they get finished. It's just the the act of doing them is like my therapy. <laughs> yeah, no, I get uh, it. So, um, so I mean, I, my skills are varied enough that I could do a bunch of different things. Uh, but right now I'm still, I'm still always looking for the like magical rhythm of, uh, just enough work. Uh, mm-hmm. so like, and the right kind of work that doesn't, that, you know, makes me feel kind of fulfilled but uh, I'm really ready to have more of a life. And like having, having a three-year-old has made me like cherish being outdoors and like doing, doing things again yeah. in a way that I haven't done in a few years. So I'm wanting to reconnect with that almost more than I am uh, wanting to like pursue any one thing. Uh, so balance, it's balance. That's, that's what I want to do. <laughs> well, I wish you luck then. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, Thanks so much. This was really fun talking to you. I'm glad we got to do this. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. And that'll do it for another episode of iFanboys Talks Blood. I want to thank Jordan Boyd, who is, you know, above all, he's a great colorist. 
Um, I hope that was interesting for everyone. I, I learned stuff about coloring that I did not know there. Um, and uh, I hope that uh, it's a little another piece of the comic book process uh, that maybe uh, people can come to appreciate a little bit more. Uh, if you want to comment on the show or see anything else that we've done, listen to other talks, blows, all that podcast stuff, get over to ifanboy.com. If you want to follow uh, Jordan on Twitter, uh, he's at Jordan T. Boyd. Uh, and that'll do. Thanks very much. Thanks to the patrons for supporting the show. And uh, everyone else for listening. Talk to you later. Come